Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, where this is the Tuesday edition, and we hope all of you will join us in the conversation today as the panelists discuss your questions and your comments. My name is Drew, and with me today is uh, Scott Smelter. Scott's coming in from Gettysburg, PA. Uh, but Scott, yeah. Are you there, Scott? I forgot to unmute. Sorry. How are you doing today? Uh, good to see you. Also from Gettysburg is Stephen. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Drew. Welcome, everybody. And uh, from Exton, Pennsylvania, we have Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Good afternoon, Drew, Scott, Stephen, and everyone. <clears throat> Good to have all of you here. Today, today we're going to be doing um, a segment, which we've done a couple times, and uh, we're calling it, at least we're starting to call it, uh, Application Toolbox. And that's where we ask each other, the panelists ask each other, what would you say or do in this scenario? And I just noticed I need to improve my lighting arrangement again. All right. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah, now you can see me, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so that's what we're going to do, the application toolbox today, where we ask each other the question, what would you say or do in this scenario? What, to, what scriptures would you go to? You, using the Bible as a toolbox, what scriptures would you go to to help find the biblical solutions for this? So you're trying to say like the Bible is this box that has lots of tools in it. <laughs> we have something we need to, to work on or fix, a problem, whatever. We, there's a tool in that box we can get out to use. There you go. All right. I like it. See, that, that good description, that good explanation. Thanks for helping me out with that. Also, we have uh, Noah with us today as well. Noah is our webcast engineer working with us on this. How are you doing, Noah? I'm good. How are you? Okay, good. Thank you. So, but before we get into that segment, which we are starting right now, I do want to remind everyone that we want to hear from you as well in our audience. In fact, we would like you to ask us that question. What would we do? What scripture would we go to answer that question or something in, in that scenario? We want to hear from you. Use the, the uh, Q&A box up on your, if you're in the Zoom app, use the Q&A box by clicking on the Q&A icon. Uh, and then opening the window. And uh, you can join also on Stephen's Facebook page, right, Stephen? They can text us there. That's right. If you'd like to leave your question or comment in the comments below, we'll be watching that as they come in. Uh, there's a little bit of a delay there, but uh, please uh, feel free to join in the discussion. If you've got a comment on what we're talking about or any other Bible question, please feel free to leave that in the comments and we'll get to it as quick as we can. Yeah, I noticed uh, I did a, I was watching Facebook last week, helping Jeff out on the Wednesday edition of Bible Quest. And so I'm watching it and I said, what is the exact delay? And I thought it was longer, but it's about 10 seconds, which is not bad. So me 10 seconds on Facebook, you're hearing me 10 seconds later than when I said it. And then if you do a text, we're going to get that in a little later as well. So just wanted to bring that to everyone's attention. Okay, we're going to do this. Application toolbox, 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 using the Bible. Scott? All right. So scenario number one, I think each of us have a scenario in mind here, and we'll present it to the other panelists and audience. Uh, please participate as well. Scenario number one is a scenario that a lot of people have faced. There's probably – go ahead, Drew. No, I want to say something right up. Before anybody answers your scenario, I want to say okay. something. Go ahead. All right. All right. So, and you may be going through this very scenario right now. 
Uh, and it's, uh, I, I went through it in one of my first jobs. I was only 16 at the time and, uh, it was a minimum wage job. So if it cost me the job, it wouldn't have been quite as consequential as for somebody else. But the moral principles remain the same. And it's this, you're at work and your boss, supervisor, owner of the company, whatever says, we need you to do this. Uh, it's to lie to a customer, to do something illegal, dishonest. Maybe they say, oh, we were supposed to have this inspected back before such and such a date. I need you to sign off here saying that you did that and then you date it, you know, like a month ago. Or maybe it's maybe you work at a garage and a little old lady has come on with a car vacuum hoses come undone or transmission isn't shifting right. You say, okay, tell her the transmission is bad and we need to replace it. Uh, or, or it's something as simple as tell them I'm out of town on a phone call or something like that. So what biblical principles come into play here, both on what we should do and what biblical principles come into play that cause some people sometimes to justify or rationalize and say, well, but I could lose my job. And so what principles come into play there to help our priorities stay in place? So what do you do? Where would you go in the Bible to address that type of a challenge? Okay. Uh, before one of you other gentlemen address that one first, um, we got a comment that came in from, for Herman, it says, what scripture do you go to for someone who doesn't believe in God or his word? So, so that's another question that we can address yeah. from the toolbox of the Bible. Well, so, I'm glad that, and that's good. And I'm glad that, that that question was asked because these we're going to be talking about everyday life principles and not everybody is a Christian or not everyone's a believer in God. Yeah, yeah. Principles, are there still principles that we have to or should? Let's do, let's do his question first. That is really? it. I, I didn't mean to, you know, oh, that's that's a let's give precedent to our uh, audience question, and uh, that's just an excellent excellent question. I think everyone knows we don't script this program. <laughs> so, uh, Romans chapter one, verse twenty, and th there's an answer here, and it's not to simply tell them to read Romans chapter one, verse twenty. And one way of looking at this, it might be helpful if we put ourselves in the position of a Muslim trying to convert one of us. Okay, so imagine I'm a Muslim and I say to Stephen, I say, Stephen, you should believe in Allah and that Muhammad is his prophet. I say, I and don't believe in a God by that name. Uh, and I don't believe that Muhammad was a prophet. Let me read to you from the Quran, which <laughs> clearly says that Muhammad was a prophet. And so then you'll know that you should believe. I don't believe that the Quran is from God. Right. And, and so if, if you're talking to somebody that doesn't even believe in God, and you say, let me read you this verse out of the Bible, that person isn't coming from a standpoint that they already respect the Bible and, and take it seriously. They don't even believe there's a God. And so Romans chapter one, verse 20 has something really important. And it says this, now this doesn't tell us who the Messiah is. We're going to have to find that out through the word, 
but before getting to the Messiah, there needs to be an understanding that there is a God. And so what do we have in Romans 1, verse 20? Talking about the sins of the Gentiles and why they're without excuse. Verse 19 of Romans 1 says this, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his, excuse me, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. I think I like it a little better in my other translation. It says, the invisible things of him since the creation of the world are clearly seen being perceived through the things that are made, even his everlasting power and divinity. So the fellow that doesn't believe in God, does he believe in the son? No. Does he believe the babies are born? You mean the son, S-U-N, or the yes. That's <laughs> <S-O-N. laughs> S-U-N. S-U-N. Oh, yes. Does he believe there's a sun that heats our planet? Yes, yes it does. Does he believe oxygen is produced by plants, need, needed by us, and that we produce carbon dioxide, which is needed by plants? Uh, does he believe that babies are born? Does he believe that there are butterflies and hummingbirds? So you point to the creation as evidence of the creator. And I think that is often an important step before getting them into the word because we're start. Another way to point out this, when Paul spoke to a synagogue of Jewish believers, where did he start? In Acts 13. Jewish believers believed that the Old Testament scriptures were the word of God. But, and go ahead. But when he was speaking to pagans in Athens, uh, he starts someplace else. Exactly. He starts with the idea that there is a God who made us. That made everything. He starts talking about the creator, and in him we move and live and have our being. And then he actually quoted one of their Greek poets. The reason he's not quoting Hebrew scripture is because they're not there yet. He has to go back and start with with, uh, something more fundamental. So we've got another question here from one of our viewers, and, and maybe we'll get to it in just a second. But let me add this thought. The the question that we were just responding to, what do you do if somebody doesn't believe there's a God or doesn't believe in his word? <clears throat> Suppose it's just the latter. Somebody isn't sure that the Bible is the word of God. Uh, again, you know, we can try to say, well, there's a passage that says the Bible is the word of God. Really, there's much evidence in the scripture, not only that the Bible is the word of God, but even once you study the scripture, there's evidence that there is a God. I, I like what you're saying. We start if somebody doesn't believe there's a God, we start with just look around, look at what's here. That was made by somebody. That's Paul's argument. That creation points to a creator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if somebody says, well, maybe there's a God, some kind of power out there, but I'm not sure the Bible is his word. Uh, it's maybe helpful to suggest that one thing to think about is not so much one passage or another passage, but the various kinds of things in the Bible, because this is really going to require that somebody spend some time with the Bible. There are different categories of things that you can look at. You can look at things like uh, prophecy, where there are explicit predictions that were made in Old Testament times, very clear. Even in the Old Testament times, people recognized they were predicting the future, and then they come true. Things like where the Messiah would be born, you know, that kind of thing. But then there are also 
things like just the cohesiveness of the entire Bible written over a span of 1,500 years by roughly 40 different people, and yet all these different writings form one story with a beginning and an ending, a problem, sin and death, a solution, Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection, and all along the way, all the stories are pointing to what's coming in the future. And, and then you say, all right, now how did this happen if this was just written by different men who didn't know each other and lived at different times? How did the guys who wrote the first part know to anticipate the culmination? That takes time, but that's a kind of investigation that will help somebody in that way. And I guess I, I'd conclude with this. Jesus talked about the things that gave evidence that he is the Christ. He had witnesses, the testimony of John, the works that he did. So that would be a study of his miracles. And, of course, then the testimony of the Old Testament scriptures, which is what I've just been talking about. So I, I guess what I would say to our viewer is there are different kinds of evidence that demonstrate the Bible is from God, that it is his word. And maybe you can help somebody by kind of categorizing the different kinds and then put him on a track saying, here are some passages of scripture that will help you see this category of evidence. Because faith does come by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We're not going to come to a knowledge of Christ just by looking at nature, but we can, but we can start seeing there's a creator by looking at creation. Go ahead, Drew. Yeah. And that's, that's the point that Paul's making in Romans one. And, uh, the same uh, viewer said they point to the creation, which is evidence of a creator. I tried that, but seems not to move anything. It depends on the individual and it depends on how much you're aware of the creation and its magnificence. There is such a, 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 a amount of information that you can do on, on the, um, on the internet to look for all the things that show the design and the precision and the accuracy of way the creation was made and how we depend on those things and scientists depend on those laws constantly every day that laws of nature laws don't come from nothing laws have to come from a law maker um, a design doesn't come from nothing and so using it, it it's going to take uh, proper research and thinking and discussion and knowing where that individual is at um, but even even when you do present all the information, and, and if you want, you can email me. I've got a whole list of material on those types of things. But even if you do present it, what I've found in, in, in some cases, if not many, the person's really not interested in the truth. We, yeah, there's some people who aren't looking for life because their works are dark. And like one girl told me, said, can I be honest? I don't want to believe in God. And that's rare that someone will even say that, but that's really at the heart of it. You know, that was for me when I was young. I didn't want it. So you can tell me anything and show me facts. Don't, don't confuse me with the facts. I don't need it. Uh, Stephen, I want to see what input you have on this, but also in just a minute, I want to share a screen. And Drew, I've changed my resolution so it won't mess up our uh, uh, resolution problem that we have sometimes. Stephen, your thoughts on that on, on this side? Yeah, especially when you're trying to help someone who you're not starting from a common frame of reference or a common worldview where there is a God, he has spoken in his word. I think in those scenarios, the first thing to do is to listen and ask good questions. Absolutely. Because there's a variety of perspectives that somebody might be coming from. 
Uh, I don't know if they might be coming from, you know, some other pseudo-religious approach or if they are strictly a, what we call a brute materialist. There is nothing that exists outside of the material universe. And that has been proven by science. Um, no, hold it, hold it, hold it. When someone says that, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but when someone says that, do they believe that love exists? Or logic for that matter. Is that material? Right. No, it's not, so, it's not material. But, but again, there's all sorts of approaches you can take to someone who takes that position. And so, and this is true with anybody, whether they're coming from that worldview or not, is just to very carefully listen to them and try to get them to defend their position. Why do they believe the way that they believe? And again, asking questions, I think, is an unintrusive way to get someone to think about what they believe and why they believe it. And it helps you then craft your answer so you're not trying to answer a question that they don't have or or answer an argument that they're not making. That's what Paul was doing. He understood his audience, and he didn't just start enforcing anything on them. He observed and said, I notice you're very religious. Nothing antagonistic. Mm-hmm. We've yeah, got started on what little and, common ground. One time I heard uh, a fellow say, I will study the Bible with anybody that will agree that the Bible is the authority. And that's such a limiting statement. If Paul went to town and said, I'm willing to study with anybody that already believes the New Testament that hadn't been written yet, who could he have studied with? Nobody. The Jews didn't yet believe Jesus was the Messiah, and the Gentiles were worshiping statues and, and, and cats or crocodiles or whatever. And they so, thought the message was yeah. to begin with. And Paul did a great deal of work starting with people that weren't already believers. We, we've got another question from a viewer here. Are we ready to get to it? I've got um, – it's a good question. Um, yeah, go ahead. I might come back to this other thing. I'm having trouble finding it, so go ahead and get to that next question. Lori, you talking about the one from Lori? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Let's do that one. She offers this scenario. A person is a believer, but he finds it very hard to pray. He feels weird. He feels unworthy. He finds himself having the most doubts when he tries to pray, as though maybe he is just talking to himself. What would you do if you were this person? There's really a lot that that can be addressed here, but let me just offer this thought. If the person is a parent, um, it may be helpful to, to bring to this person's attention the way God is pictured as a father, and we're reaching out to him as children, and to have this person think about the fact Um, your child may sometimes feel unworthy. You want your child to communicate with you as, uh, as a parent. That's your desire. Whatever your child has done wrong, you want your child to communicate with you. And then maybe sometimes, well, the latter part of the question is, but he feels like he's just talking to himself. He doesn't really feel like he's talking to God. So there's a passage in Romans, the eighth chapter, which I want to read a moment in a moment that talks about the spirit helping us in our infirmity. But here's again, that idea of parent child. If this person is a parent, um, a parent sometimes recognizes in the behavior of the child, the child doesn't even understand what consciously what the child is doing, but the child is acting out. The child is misbehaving, especially with a young child. And, and, and we as parents will sometimes recognize that's a cry for, what do we say? Attention. It's a cry for attention. In that instance, 
as parents, we know better what the child is trying to say than the child himself may be understanding. In this passage in Romans, the eighth chapter, in verse 26, in like manner, the spirit also helps our infirmity, for we know not how to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. God longs for us, and he understands what we need, and he, if, if I'm having trouble praying, let me, let me keep in mind, you know what? He knows before I even ask him what it is I need. So if I can go to him in prayer with that confidence, it may help me to believe he is hearing me. There's some other thoughts that I'm sure you guys will have to offer there. Yeah, one thing that I think is helpful is also looking at the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms are examples of prayers of, of real people who are struggling to trust in God. And many of the Psalms at the same time, they they will express their own doubt about God, where are you? Why are you so far away? I I feel like you're not hearing me. I'm crying out all the time, but I feel distant from you. Bring that to God and and be open with God about that. I think that the the Psalms teach us to pray in an honesty and an openness that we don't hear, you know, in, in the assembly when we're offering public prayers and things like that. And that's appropriate. But the, the very fact that we are encouraged to come to God with our, our petitions, and now we need to be reverent when we come to God, but you cannot say anything that will surprise God. Uh, God already knows what's going on in your heart and in your mind. And I think bringing even your doubts about prayer to God is helpful to do. And at the same time, the Psalms come back to trusting in God, even though they don't fully understand, even though they haven't even fully received an answer to their prayer, um, that the psalmist will say, I trust you. Uh, A a very practical observation is to pray aloud. Um, Sometimes uh, when we are praying, if we're just kind of mentally praying, it's hard for us even to distinguish between thinking and praying and we don't feel like we're communicating to anyone. We're just kind of thinking and wondering if there's anybody who's aware of this. In, in 1 Samuel, the first chapter, Hannah was praying, speaking in her heart in verse 13, but her lips were moving. Um, that's not praying aloud, but it is a, a bodily activity in which she is fully engaged in what she's doing and mouthing the words of her prayer. I think that you may find when you pray aloud, uh, it's easier, it's easier to, to sense that fact I am communicating to someone. I'm not just thinking. It's not to say we always have to pray aloud. Um, That's a good observation. And also uh, Hannah was praying for a child. Uh, One of my favorite uh, accounts of prayer in the Bible is in Luke chapter one where Zacharias and his wife, well stricken in years, and he goes into the temple and the angel says, what? Your prayers have been heard. Your prayers have been heard. (laughs) How how long ago had those prayers been lifted up? You know, when when she was like in her late teens or early 20s, she probably prayed that a number of times, maybe into her 30s. But there was probably a point at which she... (laughs) You know, it's kind of like getting a piece of uh, answer to a piece of mail you sent 30 years ago, maybe. And it's like, 
and says, hey, your prayers have been hurt. So just because we don't see something now doesn't mean it's not hurt. Well, it is funny there because Zechariah, who is praying and is told that his prayer is heard, and he in particular at this age, with her that age, is he still <laughs> asking, you know, Lord, give my 85. <laughs> we don't know how. I mean, most of us, by the time we get to that age, we're really not looking forward to having a child born. There, I have another yeah. thought about that. I'm, I'm, I just for what it's worth, I'll just throw this out. But later on, as you go through Luke 1, I wonder if there's some indication that Zacharias' prayer that was heard wasn't specifically for a son, but for the salvation for our, from our enemies that he later on gives thanks to God when he realizes uh, that indeed his prayer has been heard. And through that, he's going to become John, who's going to anticipate Jesus. But it is, it is uh, uh, an interesting observation there. Okay, I think we did good. We covered that. Scott, you want to add something else? Yeah, I want to come back to, because uh, uh, we had a commenter say they've tried pointing people to creation as evidence of a crater and said it just didn't have an effect. <clears throat> and it's thought we've already pointed out here that with some people it's not going to have an effect. But let's think about this. Why, if we just say, well, look at creation, your average unbeliever out there, if, if I just say, well, look at creation and you can tell that there's a God, which is immediate mental and verbal response probably going to be. You're an unbeliever. And I said, well, look, look all around you. Obviously there's a God. Well, I don't see that there's a God. All this has been explained by science that says, you know, things have evolved and there've been, um, you know, the big bang and all of that. There you go. Evolution and big bang. Now, whether scientists <laughs> understand what, Oh, nice. nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. So those two things, now they might not have a very good understanding of it. They might not understand how much the science is lacking in those, but they've heard those terms. And so a lot of people haven't thought about it deeply. They heard, oh, well, evolution and Big Bang. So that's enough. So what you want to do, you want to get them to think. So I'd like to share the screen now. And let's just look first at a couple of passages from Scripture showing this principle, and then just one illustration. So we've got here, uh, am I sharing yet? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and is, uh, that should do now. The heavens declare the, the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork, Psalm 19. And why is this not? Okay. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. Psalm 8, when I consider your heavens work, your fingers, moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? On this one, I like to show how big the earth is in relationship to the sun. There we are in scale. <laughs> you know. Uh, and then I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And then, of course, Romans 120. So the Bible points to creation. And now here's just one way to do it. What is that right there on your on your screen? That is a fake hummingbird. Mechanical. That is a fake hummingbird. Yeah. It is a little drone. It has a camera in it and it can fly around. It is pretty cool. And a few years ago, it was on the cover of Time Magazine as like one of the coolest inventions. All right. And it could go up to 11 miles per hour. It could fly for about five minutes. It could maneuver, fly, hover, and do a 360. 
would anybody, would any of our, so imagine you're talking to your unbelieving friend. Could that hummingbird drone just happen by accident? No, I don't, I don't believe in that guy standing there with that controller. I think that hummingbird just was a product of evolution. <laughs> that would be silly. <laughs> yeah, nobody would believe that. So then to pose this question, is that hummingbird drone, is it a planned combination of parts showing evidence of a designer, or is it an unplanned combination of parts showing no evidence of a designer? And your unbelieving friend is going to say what? Planned. Designer. Yeah. Yeah, has to be. And then you say, who planned it? The guy holding that controller. Or somebody. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, a guy had to, to design it. And then you ask him this. Is the human being that designed it, is he a planned combination of parts showing evidence of a designer or an unplanned combination of parts showing no evidence of a designer? That's really good. And he's going to say... Unplanned. So guess what you've got? The hummingbird actually is the result of unplanned combination parts showing no evidence of a designer. Right. And then to take a look at a real hummingbird, they can fly nonstop for 500 miles. We know this fly across the Gulf of Mexico, the ruby-throated hummingbird. He He weighs as much as a penny. He can go 30 miles per hour in escape speed. He can go 50 miles per hour. They can fly backwards, hover in midair. Which of those two hummingbirds is more impressive? That one that goes faster further. Yeah. And the hummingbird drone, he knew that couldn't be an accident. It shows too much design. And so, in other words, you're, you're trying to get the person to think. Instead of just saying, oh, evolution, big bang. You know, explosions don't produce hummingbirds. <laughs> and and, and uh, mutations don't produce hummingbirds. In other words, to get them to start really appreciating design and creation so that then their mind starts. Yeah, that's good. It, it, it's so obvious when you stop and think about it. Right. And we have to stop and think. Yeah. You showed the picture of the sun and the relationship of the sun and the scale, right? Yes. How I think the Earth might even be a little bit smaller than that, but let's just assume that's an accurate scale. Look how big that was, right? Right. Now, the moon. The moon you wouldn't even see on that picture. It'd be so small, right? It'd be, so, it'd be very, very tiny. Dot, a dot. Now, you know what's happening tomorrow at what's 7 happening? o'clock in the morning New York time? Supermoon? No, it's more than a supermoon. Oh. It's a super blue blood moon, three trifecta. <laughs> a super blue blood moon. Happens where? <laughs> The name is crazy. The name is uh, now here. No, I'm not making this up. <laughs> the moon, the Earth is going to be between the moon and the sun, and it's oh, cool. going to cast its shadow and make a solar. That's not a solar a lunar eclipse. eclipse. Lunar lunar eclipse. Oh, okay, but. <laughs> It's going to be at the right size and distance that it perfectly covers it. It's and it's close. And it, what I'm trying to say is, if it if the three elements are moving like this at that distance of of, of items, how does it right. work out that it's exactly going to be working in that arrangement? That's tomorrow morning, by the way. The next thing I want to say is reverse it. Give it the solar eclipse. A solar eclipse. Right. Right. 
the disc of the moon is at the right size to exactly cover the disc of the sun 93 million miles away. You know what the odds of a lunar eclipse happening that way and then the odds of a solar eclipse happening that way and then put those two things together. What's the odds that that all happens by chance, by accident? Yeah, that's remarkable. 20 to 1? Huh? <laughs> I tell you, your solar blue blood moon, that sounds like an ad man's <laughs> tagline. You know, it sounds like new, improved, solar blue blood moon. <laughs> we brought you the super moon now. New, improved, the super blue blood moon. And you don't have to wear glasses to watch that one. Like you do this. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the chances. It is, it is so impressive to, to just stop. Lots of times we don't take look at the moon, but to just look at that thing or to just think about the sun, where would we be without the sun? Suppose the sun went out. Oh, we'd be how quickly, how quickly would we be done. gone? Yeah. Mm. Well, wait a minute. Yeah. If, if the earth rotated around the sun one-tenth of an inch difference, right now it rotates on a line that's one-eighth of an inch off of the straight plane, over 18 miles. If it went one-tenth of an inch, we'd be so far away from it, we'd be free, we would, life could not exist. Such a minute, precise orbit around the sun. And in some of our planets, their day is equal to their year. So that as it orbits the sun, one side is always facing the sun and the other side is always away. So you have one side scalding hot, the other side freezing. And we just rotate like that. And then you have the axis so that we get the seasons and everything. Just marvelous. So getting people to stop and think about what's around them. It's more than just saying, well, creation, but inviting them to stop and actually think about creation. Like uh, life from non-life. I, I like to use this illustration. Give a scientist a squirrel. Put a squirrel in a blender. <laughs> Pour out the squirrel. He has 100% of the ingredients of a squirrel. That doesn't mean that he can reassemble it and make a squirrel. It's, it's, it's not just a list of ingredients. It's the intelligent arrangement of them. What a horrible thought. <laughs> <laughs> no squirrels were harmed in the broadcast of this webcast. Okay. <laughs> I think Jeff's losing it. I've even got a picture of it if you want it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. All right. Where do we start all of this? Here we go. We're out of control. We're out of control. Let's get back to now. Okay, what about the – that was a good question to start off with. Who brought that one in? Herman, that was great. That was a good question. And and, and Lori with her. Did we finish Lori's question on the prayer? I think, I think so. I think we're ready to come back to Jeff. Scott's question he introduced at the beginning of the program. But Jeff is still muted. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, you're muted. Jeff's still gassed at my squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Back, back to you, Scott. Okay, so the question was, you're at work, and your boss, supervisor, owner of the company says, Drew, Jeff, Stephen, uh, I, I need you to tell these people that I'm out of town. I'm not here. I need you to fill out this form and date it a different day and say that you did this back then. I need you to lie to this customer. Biblical principles, biblical text, 
how to deal with that kind of situation. Go. I got, I got a couple. I would go to, first I'd go to Acts 5. In this case, they were wanting Peter not to do something. And he said, but I, we must obey God rather than men. They didn't, they wanted him wow. to stop the preaching. So we see an example of Peter not doing what men, in fact, they were going to go to jail. In fact, they were in jail. Yeah. They were in jail and they were commanded, hey, you can't do this. And they said, well, we, I, we, ha- we must obey God rather than men, first of all. And that somebody, somebody that they normally should have obeyed, the Jewish Senate. The Bible well, that, says obey them to have the rule over you. That's but my next when, point. Well, wait, wait a minute. God. Yeah. The, the next point is, who is that? that that's the Sanhedrin. That's the, the leading authority that day. That was the established yeah. uh, authority, and he's going against yeah. the established authority. Now, the second verse I'd go to is in Revelation, uh, Revelation 21, where in verse 8 it says, there's a whole list of people that are not going to make it to be, be part of the kingdom. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in yep. the that burns. So if my boss is asking me to lie for him, I, I need to make the decision about how I'm going to live my life before my boss asks me that question. Right. right. I have to make the decision. I'm committed to the, to the Lord. And no matter what scenario I'm faced in, I already know what I'm going to do. I'm going to listen yeah. to the Lord. I'm going to obey God. I'm, I'm, I'm not. And so when that comes up, it's not a hard down. What am I going to do? Now, I'm not saying I wasn't wow. there. I, there's times we struggle with certain things. Yeah. But we have to go back to God and say, what is it that I'm doing? What, what is my commitment? Right. Good point. Good point. The book of right. Daniel is a good book to uh, go to and see answers to this question. You have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, being told that they are supposed to bow down by the king, and, and they're not going to do it because they're putting their trust in God. You have Daniel, whose boss, the king, says, pray to no one for 30 days other than to the king. That's in Daniel, the sixth chapter. And Verses 7, 8, 9. Daniel knew that the document was signed in verse 10. He entered into his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open to toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. He wasn't going to do, he wasn't going to change his wrong conduct or right conduct to wrong conduct, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't going to do something that was wrong, even though the boss, even though the king said to do it. They put their trust in God. And did they know that they were going to be spared from the fiery furnace? No. no they, 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 they knew that they had a God who could deliver him, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said in Daniel, the third chapter, even if he does not, that is, does not deliver us out of the furnace, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. This, there's a couple points to be made here. This speak, you, you said something about what about the motive or the attitudes that we ought to have? Drew, you made a good point. Let's make up our mind, make up our mind ahead of time what our answer to that question is. But one thing I need to question is, who is it that is most important to me to please? In John, the 12th chapter, uh, there were Pharisees or, or rulers who believed on Jesus, but it says because of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. 
For they love the glory that is of men more than the glory that is of God. That's John 12, 42 and 43. So that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Who is it it's most important to me that I please? My boss? What is most important to me? My income? Or is it God and, and the rewards that he has to offer? Would you say that also applies then to other scenarios outside of, the, <clears throat> outside of your boss? Your husband, your wife, your family? Yeah. 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 So, you know what? It, folks, go ahead, Jeff. Well, uh, this is this is in the news lately. It's kind of controversial. Uh, I've been re revisiting a situation I'm aware of of somebody who was a sexual predator, taking advantage of women, taking advantage of young people, and men who do that are scoundrels, and it's sin, and it's wrong, and it's going to be condemned uh, by God. But we're also hearing in this whole Me Too discussion about actresses who um, had some scoundrel, some man, make some kind of proposition, holding over their heads the prospect of getting an acting part or getting a good income or something. That man is wrong. He's a scoundrel. But we're hearing about some women who went along with it because they wanted the acting part or because they wanted the income. And then years later now, they're saying, oh, I was victimized. You know what? We have the ability to say no. And women, you have the ability to say no. And what we're talking about here is who am I trying to please and what's my motive? Am I trying to please God or this movie producer or employer? Or myself in those scenarios. Or myself, or, or myself in the sense that I get a paycheck. Yeah. My employer, he's going to try to take sexual advantage of me. I feel like I have to go along because I need this paycheck. Ah, right there. I'm saying that right. paycheck is more important to me than my God. Steven? Really good observation. And, and uh, you know, suppose, suppose somebody says, yeah, but I need this job. And I've, I've got a wife and kids to support. And I, I, I could lose my house. I, I What would I what would I eat? What would I drink? Wherewithal? Softball. So seek ye first the king and his righteousness. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego probably felt like they kind of had a need to stay out of that fiery furnace. Stephen, <laughs> what good would we do to God if we're crispy critters? Yeah, <laughs> so. and and I think you know uh, Ephesians four twenty five is another. Uh, verse that comes to mind, therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another, um, that we have an obligation, not just to the Lord first, but to other people. And when we start to compromise truth and we start to lie about one thing, it, it has a tendency to multiply. And, oh, yeah. and can you imagine if your hand started telling lies to your brain? Either I'm on fire when it's not actually on fire, or if it actually was on fire, it started saying everything is cool, and, and <laughs> it's not going to work. So, so lying it doesn't just affect you; it affects other people. And on this uh, thing that Jeff brought up, you know, it is possible. Um, you know, Daniel and his friends did not have a choice in where they ended up, and they just had to do what was right in the situations that they found themselves in. But when you're thinking about a career, when you're thinking about a job, there are certain jobs and certain careers that will put you in compromising situations that you need to think about 
before you go in there and you say, it may not put me in a compromising spot, but if it does, I'm willing to do what's right, even if it costs me, or try to choose a, a line of work in which that's not so much of a problem. And again, it's not saying that any line of work is perfectly safe, but just think ahead. Um, because a lot of times if you go into acting or you go into something else, there's just more opportunities for compromise. We have a viewer who says they're talking about, I think talking about women who are subjected to the sexual assaults of men. Viewer says there may also be cases where they could not say no. And, and I would assume what we're talking about is like cases of rape where somebody overpowers a woman or something like that. Certainly that's true. Certainly that is true. What we're talking about is the ability to say no when I can say no, even if it costs me in terms of my physical well-being or my income, I have to be willing to put righteousness first. And that's what Peter and John were saying in, and the apostles were saying in Acts chapter 5, we must obey God rather than men. It didn't matter whether they get thrown in jail or beaten. Uh, they were going to choose to do what's right. Well, guys, we're getting close to the end. We're not going to end it yet. I want to put that screen up. People Scott's trying to get a word in, but he's muted. No, he's not muted. No, and and Scott, you got you got your you uh, want to add something to it, but I just wanted to put yeah. that screen up before we close out. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah, in, in other words, you do you, you say you you don't do what's wrong. You you let them know you're not going to do that. You're not going now. If it costs you your job, it costs you your job. Mm-hmm. And and uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Sometimes, however, they will end up respecting the fact that you're honest. Now, you don't know, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't know. But I'll make this real brief. I'll tell you the thing that happened to me at 16. So I'm a stock boy, and an order has just come in, and it's all messed up. If we were supposed to have products A, B, C, D, there's a little bit short on A, but there's a whole lot extra on B. There's plenty more on C, maybe a couple missing on D, but there's a lot of extra E. And so it's kind of messed up. I, I tell the assistant manager, and he gives me a form, overage and underage. And it's a form where you say, here's all the extra stuff we got. Here's what we're missing. He said, don't tell them about the extra stuff. Only tell them the missing stuff. I said, if I sign this and, and fill this out, I'm going to tell both. He said, no, no, no. You only tell them what we're I said, we got more than enough than what we'd ordered, you know, way, we're way ahead. No, I don't tell them about that. You tell them what we're missing. Don't tell them about the extra or we're arguing about it. The manager comes in and he goes, what's going on back here. And when he finds out, he says, Scott, come over here. Great. You fill out the form. And of course, what could have happened then? He could have fired me. Actually, he didn't. He said, I don't have to worry about you now. He said, new employees, I'm always watching them. But if you won't steal for me, I know you're never going to steal from me. Oh. And a few months later, he opened a new store and he made me the assistant manager. So I've got the combination to the safe. I'm the one that takes money to the bank and stuff. And why? Because even though he wanted it filled out dishonestly, <laughs> you know, he, he wanted people to steal for him he realized it was profitable to have an employee that wouldn't do that. And so when we take a job, you can tell the boss up front, don't ask me to lie. Don't, if you don't ask me to say you're not here, if you're here and if he's looking for a liar, then, you know, let him give that job to somebody else. If we let people know where we're at up front, it doesn't mean we'll always go well. We may get fired, but like 
uh, was pointed out earlier, you decide ahead of time what you're going to do and where your priority is. All right, guys, I really, we went past our, our time frame here, but uh, it was a good discussion. Scott, I, I appreciate you bringing that in. And I also uh, thank you for those in the audience that participated. Our information is up on the screen right there. If you want to contact us directly, you can email us, Scott at, Jeff at, Stephen at, Drew at, any one of us at BibleQuest.tv. And uh, send us in your questions. Send us in your scenarios. Tell us what you want to, us to talk about next time. Anything else, guys, before we sign off? I guess not. Good to see all of you. Thank you to the audience for the comments and questions. Thanks, Thanks. everybody. Yeah. Have a good day. Bye.